Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now would you open your Bibles tonight in the time remaining to the book of Jonah in your Old Testament. We continue to worship. Part of our worship is sitting under the teaching of the Word and letting the Holy Spirit reveal to us through the principles of Scripture how He wants to change us and what we can learn from. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for all of the elements so far. Being able to look into the future with sending out missionaries, being able to touch the past and know that we're part of a story that has gone on in Your heart from the beginning of creation. And we're just in this time and space as part of Your story. Thank You, Lord, that You loved us enough to include us in Your story. Thank You, Lord, for the testimony of so many people who have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, who love You, who are here tonight. Strengthen each one. Lord, You know the life situations of each person who's here and exactly what we need. So we commit the evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A few days before Christmas, a couple of guys decided rather than going Christmas shopping, which they hated, they would go sailing. So they sent their wives Christmas shopping, and the guys ditched and went out sailing. Well, they got caught in a storm, and a pretty ferocious storm. And the waves and the wind tossed that little boat around, and they they got washed up on a sandbar, and they were stuck in some place in the middle of the ocean on a sandbar, unable to get loose from it. They got out of the boat, sunk down in the mud, and started pushing. Now the wind and the waves are all wet, and they're just being tossed back and forth. It's miserable. And as they try to push the boat out from the sandbar and get it dislodged, get it into deeper water, the boat starts taking on more water. It looks like it's going to sink. So there they are, stranded out in the middle of the ocean on a sandbar. Their only hope for survival is going down. And one guy looks at each other. Uh, One guy looks at his friend with that knowing smile and said, This sure beats Christmas shopping, doesn't it? (laughs) There are some people who will do just about anything to get out of a task or to divert themselves away from what they're supposed to be doing. Now that, that is Jonah. You know, here's Jonah running from God, getting a ticket, going into a boat, going out to sea. Storm comes up. They throw him overboard. And it's as if he looks to these sailors and says, this sure beats going to Nineveh, doesn't it? He just won't obey the Lord. And yet, this backslider, and he was a backslider, This bigot, and boy was he bigoted, because he thought only God loved people like him, Jewish people. He was ardently nationalistic, heavily Jewish, and knew that God had a plan for the Jews, but thought that God should annihilate the Ninevites. God takes this backslider, takes this bigot, this renegade, and Jonah becomes the first foreign missionary sent from Israel 
to Nineveh, and wouldn't you know it, the world's greatest revival on record happened in Nineveh, where the entire city, I'm not talking 5%, 10%, 50%, everyone in mass miraculously turns to the God of Israel. Now, just a little reality check here. Nineveh still exists today, but under a different name. You've seen it in the news. Mosul is the name of a town in Iraq, which many of our troops are stationed at. Imagine that whole area, or all of Baghdad, coming to know the Lord. Now, what we're going to do tonight is look primarily at chapter 2, but we did skip a lot. That is, we read through all of chapter 1. I just want to go back to get our bearings and then move into this prayer. Because what we see tonight in this prayer of a prodigal prophet is something going on inside. It's an inside job. We're going to look inside the boat. What's going on between Jonah and these sailors? We're going to look inside the belly of the whale or this great fish or whatever it is and find out what's going on in there. And then we're going to look inside the backslider himself, Jonah. So inside the boat, inside the belly, and inside the backslider forms our outline for this evening. Let's go to the boat. Verse 5 tells us, Then the mariners, or the sailors, were afraid. Now mark that phrase in your mind. They were afraid. And every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Talk about an eclectic prayer meeting. Each one is crying to whatever God they believed in. Didn't matter. Hey, we don't want to offend anybody. Pray to whatever you believe in. In hopes that one of these gods is strong enough to answer us. I find it puzzling that you have praying pagans, but a sleeping prophet. We read this verse and say, what's wrong with this picture? It should read, Jonah was on his knees praying to God, and these pagans could care less. Uh Uh-uh. Each one of them in this eclectic prayer meeting prays, cries to his God. Jonah, sawn logs. said, Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. Something about this boat. This was a cargo ship. It did accept passengers, but limited room for passengers. Its primary task was to deliver goods from one part of the world to another part of the world. No doubt, these were mostly Phoenician sailors, mariners. They grew up on the seas. And their principal task is cargo. They would get money for the goods delivered. However, when storms come, you get rid of everything you don't need. It says in Proverbs 11, it says, Riches do no good or are empty in the day of wrath. So they throw them overboard. 
It's not important. What was once important to us in a storm often becomes less important to us. I've been at many deathbeds in my life. I worked in a hospital for a number of years. And I remember being in emergency room situations next to men or women or children who were dying. And their family would come in, and sometimes the family would come in too late. The patient expired 10, 20 minutes ago. And we go to them and say, Ma'am, I'm sorry, your husband has passed away. The shock, the horror, the gripping of the heart, and often words like, I wish I could have said I'm sorry. Unresolved conflict and the inability to resolve it because of death. Suddenly, whatever was important an hour ago in their lives that they were fighting about is no longer important. They'd throw it overboard if they could have that life back. Lighten the load, said the mariners. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots. And wouldn't you know it, the lot fell on Jonah. Up till now, this has been an issue between God and Jonah. Nobody else involved. God said, I have a plan for you to fulfill. Jonah disobeyed. Now, the problem came in when he got on that boat. Now, a disobedient prophet on somebody else's boat implicates them as well. Up till now, it was just between Jonah and God. Now they're involved and suffering something that only this guy should be suffering. Don't ever think that your disobedience will affect only you. A disobedient child of God is a menace to a lot more people than just himself or herself. It is a way of including and hurting other people. You remember Joshua chapter 7, when they tried to fight against the town of Ai, Ai, and they were defeated, the children of Israel, before them. Joshua got in his face and complained, God, why did you allow this to happen? You told us to conquer the land. We went into the land. We got beat up on this one, God. The Lord said, I'm holding the whole camp of Israel guilty for what Achan, the son of Carmi, has done. One man did one thing that implicated the entire nation. Wow! Talk about identification. What did he do? Well, he saw a Babylonian garment. He saw... Um, silver and a wedge of gold, and he took it for himself, even though God said, whatever you see in Jericho will be totally devoted to the Lord. None of it is for yourselves. It's all devoted to God. He took it, and the entire children of Israel fell under God's curse. Or 
King David, when he decided he was going to number the people of Israel. And remember, Joab said, you know, may God increase your tribe, David, and and may God make us double and triple and ten times more in population. But don't do this. Because in numbering the people, it would seem like David wanted to trust in his military might, his army, his strength. Because David called for the census, 70,000 people died in and around the environs of Judea. A runaway Christian, a runaway believer, is a menace to a whole lot of people. So Jonah, this runaway prodigal prophet, makes it worse for everybody else. So in the boat, inside the boat, it's a mess. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? They had to ask that, didn't they? That'd be awfully embarrassing, wouldn't it? What do you do for a living? I'm a prophet. Okay, I'm going to confess. Many years ago, and I'm glad it was, I was driving around Tucson, Arizona. And I'm reminded of this story because I just flew in from Tucson at 11 o'clock last night. But I remember going through Tucson, and I was with a buddy, and we were on our motorcycles. It was open road. There weren't cars on it. And we thought, you know, let's see what these babies will do. We opened up the throttle, saw the speedometer, hit 80, 85, 90, 95. Now the bike's starting to rattle a little bit. Bolts are starting to fall off. But it's feeling really good until we saw the red lights in the mirror. Then our heart went into our stomach. We pulled over. Police officer was not smiling. He was livid. Asked for driver's license and registration. And then he looked right into my eyes and he said, What do you do? (laughs) Jonah. I said, my name is Jonah. I know it says something else, but that's really my name. I said, uh, well, um, I'm a teacher. (laughs) Thinking, great, he'll just pass it off. He said, where do you teach? I said, in Albuquerque. (laughs) He said, where exactly in Albuquerque do you teach? And so I had to tell him. Calvary. (laughs) What's that? Calvary. What is, I mean, he was explicit. Okay, I'm a pastor, it's a church. You're a what? (laughs) Oh, they read me the riot act. And rightfully so. And with Jonah, he tells them what he did. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men, notice this phrase and mark it well, were exceedingly afraid. 
and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. The God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, as he is called by Jonah to these mariners, translated the Lord here for us. Everyone knew in the ancient world the reputation that Yahweh had. They had heard about the plagues in Egypt. They had heard about the Red Sea miraculously opening and this group of Hebrews coming across on dry land. They had heard about the invasion into Cana and what happened with the walls of Jericho falling down and them assuming control over the land. And when those mariners heard that there was a prophet of Yahweh on their boat, a Hebrew prophet, they were exceedingly afraid. What? You bummed him out and you're on our boat? That's why it says they were exceedingly afraid. I'll never forget. I was on an airplane buckling up. And a dear lady walked by my aisle as she was trying to find her seat. And she stopped and she said, Oh, praise the Lord. And I looked up and I said, what is it? She goes, I, Pastor Skip, I go to Calvary. She said, I am so scared to fly. I hate flying. I think we're going to crash, but, but I see you here. So I feel so much more secure. I know we'll be safe. Now, I didn't want to spoil it for her. But in my mind, I was thinking... Boy, dear lady, you better hope that I'm really walking with the Lord because otherwise this could be a raspy flight, right? A la Jonah. Speaking of that, there were 13 ministers aboard a flight from California to Boston. The plane started getting into a little bit of a problem and then more turbulence and more turbulence and people were holding on to their seats because the plane was going up and down. One of the ministers said to a stewardess, Ma'am, go tell the pilot he has nothing to worry about because there are 13 ministers aboard his flight. She went, told the captain. She came back a little while later and that pastor flagged her down and said, Did you tell the captain what I told you? She smiled and she said, Well, yes, I did. And the captain did say... He is glad to have 13 ministers aboard his plane, but frankly, at a time like this, he'd rather have four good engines. (laughs) I don't know that these mariners were happy about having a Hebrew clergyman aboard their boat. It caused the turbulence, not calming the turbulence. So, then, verse 11, they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? Good question. For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord. Now please notice 
They're praying to Yahweh. They're praying to the God of this prophet, this prodigal prophet. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Now notice this phrase again, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to Yahweh, the Lord, and took vows. This is the third time we read they were afraid or they feared. And in each case, it's very different. I ask you to mark it in your mind. The first time it says they were afraid... They were afraid because of the circumstances, the storm. It was unlike anything they had ever seen. The second time it says they were exceedingly afraid, they were not afraid of the circumstances as much as being afraid of the consequences. You're a Hebrew prophet on our boat. God's mad at you. They were afraid. But this is very different. Here it says they feared the Lord exceedingly, and it's a Hebrew word that means to reverence or worship the Lord. This is amazing. It's amazing in contrast that you have pagans praying, a prophet sleeping. Number two, you have a pagan rebuking disobedience, while you have the prophet maintaining disobedience. Number three, you have these sailors turning toward the Lord while you have a prophet still running from the Lord. It would seem by the language that they were converted to Yahweh. Because in throwing Jonah overboard, it was now calm. It was a miracle. And they worshiped. Very different than the prophet who should be doing that. What a contrast. Now look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now we go from inside the boat to inside the belly of this great whatever it was, whale or great fish as it said. And there's an interesting word, I'd like you to notice it. It's the word prepared. So the Lord prepared, literally appointed. You say, now why would God, why would a God of love let his prophet be followed by a fish? Because he is a God of love. Lest Jonah die in the sea, you can't swim there very long in the middle of the ocean without dying. In order to save him, He had a fish swallow him because God wasn't done with Jonah yet. Better to be whale puke than to have your ministry and life completely ended and the opportunity to be used. So the Lord appointed and prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Oh, poor Jonah is going from bad to worse. Down, 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 down into the boat down into the bottom of the boat to sleep, down into the sea, down into the gullet of this fish. Reminds me of a 
an ad I ran across in a newspaper. Lost dog with three legs, blind in left eye, missing right ear, broken tail, recently injured, answers to the name Lucky. (laughs) Hardly. Boy, Jonah's like that dog. He goes from bad to worse. Now he's confined in the belly of this great fish. Now, what was this exactly? You know, this is, um, people do read this story and, you know, there's something fishy about it to most people. They, They don't buy it, right? How is this possible? What kind of a creature was it? There have been several guesses. Some have pointed to the white shark, which goes up to 70 feet in length and has been known to swallow even men whole. There have been some reports that they even lived through the ordeal. A white shark. Rhinodon typicus is the scientific name. A second guess is the phinoclon shark, which has been known to swallow uh, sea cows that weigh up to a thousand pounds to swallow them. Others point to some whale. And there is a type of whale, the mysticies, the sperm whale. Um, Catadon macrocephalus is its scientific name. And they have discovered that though there are teeth in this creature, they are not for chewing. They are for simply securing the prey, but they always swallow their prey whole. And most would point to that, and I would tend to concur from that which I have researched, that it was probably that catadon macrocephalus, the sperm whale, that large mysticies creature that um, you can dig it up, research it on your own if you'd like. How is it possible for somebody to be swallowed by something like that and survive? It's a good question. But for us who believe the Bible, it's really an elementary question, and it doesn't stumble us. I hope it doesn't stumble you. You see, something happened to me when I could get over Genesis 1-1. As soon as I could get the first verse of the Bible and, and, and get a hold of that, the rest was pretty simple. You see, the Bible begins with a huge miracle. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Once you believe that God can do that, this is nothing. Well, it's still amazing. I don't know if that's possible. Really? Here's mankind. We can prepare a trident nuclear submarine. God can't prepare a great fish to swallow Jonah. Something's wrong if you have problems with that. I'm going to read to you what Jeremiah prayed. You don't have to turn to it. It's in Jeremiah 32. But it's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Jeremiah prayed to the Lord, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. See, if you can do that, then you can do anything. And that's God's basic premise too. Same passage. God says to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
How big is your God? How big is your God? I, I feel sorry for you if you have some puny little God. Oh, God can't do, deal with this. He can heal a cold, but He can't heal anything else. How big is your God? If God can create the heavens and the earth, can He do this or anything else? There are laws of nature. Natural law. God has established natural law. However, sometimes even natural law is set aside, or shall we say, superseded by a higher law. For instance, the law of gravity. The law of gravity would say that that 747 out there on the runway at the airport that can seat 500-plus passengers, that has 60,000 cubic feet of storage space, that can accommodate an extra 45,000 pounds of luggage, and we use every square inch, don't we, when we fly. Common sense would dictate that something that weighs that much is bound to stay on the earth. That's the law of gravity. But the law of gravity can be superseded or set aside by other natural laws. The law of thrust, propulsion, aerodynamics, the dynamic motion of air on a perfectly engineered wing along with thrust can take something that normally would stay down because of gravity and lift it high in the air and sail it across the world. So, we deal with things like this. We realize there are natural laws. God has established them. But God always has the prerogative to operate at higher laws. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're above your thoughts. So God can easily supersede or intervene in natural law and just say, Hey, whale, I need you to be a chauffeur for a few days. Go get that guy. And here's what's interesting. The whale obeyed. Look at it. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale, or the great fish, three days and three nights. Verse 10, look at it again, at that verse of chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Again, it's amazing. Sailors, pagan sailors, in compliance with God. Great fish, obeying God. His prophets, disobeying God. The most out of order of all of God's creation are those of us who walk upright on two legs. Our will can be so strong, stubborn. There was an old philosopher in Greece named Sophocles who said something profound. He said, stubbornness and stupidity are twins. Both resided in Jonah. So, he does some whale time. Three days and three nights. So, we've seen inside the boat, inside the belly. Let's look at the most important thing of all. Inside the backslider. Folks, to me this is the pinnacle of the story. 
It's always fascinated me that we get sidetracked in studying the book of Jonah. We're so taken up by what's going on inside the whale, we should be more concerned with what's going on inside Jonah. That's the real story. So it says, verse 1, chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed. (laughs) Finally. We have no record of Jonah praying through this whole story. We have pagans praying, but the prophet doesn't pray until he's in the gullet. Three days and three nights of gut time, whale time. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. All right, I'm going to read to you what one writer considers what it would have been like inside that gut. Pitch black, sloshing gastric juices washing over you, burning the skin, the eyes, the throat, the nostrils. Oxygen is scarce, and each frantic gulp of air is saturated with salt water. The rancid smell of digested food causes you to throw up repeatedly until you only have dry heaves left. Everything you touch has the slimy feel of the mucous membrane that lines the stomach. You feel claustrophobic. With every turn and dive of the great fish, you slip and slide in a cesspool of digestive fluid. Mmm. There are no footholds, no blankets to keep you warm from the cold, clammy depths of the sea. For three days and for three nights, you endure this harsh womb of God's grace. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Oh, you stubborn prophet. You know, I've been in some pretty interesting places having quiet time. But if there was an award given of the most unusual place anyone's ever had his devotions, this guy would have taken the prize. You know, I could say, I remember on Mount Sinai, or somebody could say, I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, or somebody could say something like that. Jonah would say, I was in the belly for three days and three nights of a fish gut, and I prayed. Now, it's a short prayer. The chapter is ten verses. The prayer is only eight verses. It's short but powerful. Something remarkable. There are traces of nine different psalms from the book of Psalms, the Psalms of David, nine different psalms in this prayer, one quotation from the book of Lamentations, and one from another book that I forget. But there are lots of scripture from the Old Testament laced into this prayer. Which causes some people to be suspicious. They would say, wait a minute. People don't prepare these kind of prayers when they're at an extreme location like this praying to God. In fact, they don't prepare at all when you're really down in the mouth. When you're really having a trial. You pray spontaneously. Nothing crafted in a beautiful psalm Or quoted from the scripture. That's my whole point. When you are in an extreme situation, the real you comes out. And it's interesting to find out that the real Jonah had his mind saturated with the Bible. 
Now here's my point. Exposure to biblical truth is no guarantee that you live it. This has always been a disappointment to me. Some that I have known who have been exposed to teaching through the Bible the great truths of God. And yet I see their activities, their statements, their life. And being exposed to the truth doesn't guarantee that the life will be lived in the truth. Sort of like a roadmap. You know, you could get a roadmap and it'll tell you how to navigate, how to get from where you are to where you want to be. But just because you read the roadmap is no guarantee that you'll get to the destination. You actually have to drive on the road and get there. So the Bible is like that roadmap. It's no guarantee of righteous living. Jonah had it in him, but he wasn't living according to that truth. I cried to the Lord because of my affliction. So he's honest. And he answered me. Out of the belly of hell, Sheol, Hebrew word for the grave, the pit. That's what he's calling that gut. This is the pits, man. This is a living hell. I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. That's a quote right out of the Psalms. I used to read that Psalm. And, and, and I thought immediately of, of what in surfing is called the tube. Where the lip of the wave curls over. And you have a wind from off the shore into the wave. And it billows it out. So it's round and tubular. And I read that and I thought, yes. All your billows are over me. This is going to be a perfect day. But Jonah meant something different. He would be swallowed up by the sea. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. He acknowledges that he has been, as Chuck Gerard sang tonight, the little pilgrim that erred from the path, that took the wrong turn. And that God in affliction is turning him back. So that now, after three days and three nights of whale time, he'll have another chance. He'll be resurrected, you might say. The Lord got my attention. Now I'm open. And I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Now, this is descriptive. Weeds were wrapped around my head. That's seaweed, folks. You picture this prophet in, in gastric juices and whale vomit. And it's bleaching his skin out, no doubt, because of the acidity in the gastric juices and the smell. And there's seaweed, there's kelp that the, this great whale has swallowed and it's wrapped around him. I've been caught in seaweed before. It can be pretty scary. You know, we always used to say that the surfer's cry for um, attention was, Kelp! Kelp! There's Jonah. Kelp! Kelp! I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me. You can see the teeth closing on that animal. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. It took that. It took despair before he'd remember the Lord. And my prayer went up to you 
into your holy temple. Now this is the lesson that he learned. This is the most significant thing that's happening inside the backslider. Verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Loosely translated, those who run away from God tie their own noose. Or I guess you could say, those who disobey God end up as whale puke. When God wants to be merciful, if you regard worthless idols, you know what an idol is. An idol is simply, basically at the root, anything that replaces God in your life. Something that is more important to you than God is an idol. Jonah had an idol. And he regarded it. You know what the idol that Jonah had was? Jonah. Jonah was Jonah's idol. Jonah loved himself. Jonah served himself. He regarded that worthless idol. He bought a ticket for the idol. He went into a boat for the idol. He went away from the Lord for the idol. He was even willing to die for the idol of Jonah. And finally he discovered those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. God wants to be merciful to the Ninevites, to Jonah. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you. Question, what do you sacrifice to God in a whale's gut? What do you got to sacrifice to God? Answer, your will. Your own will. Lord, I'm done going my way. I surrender my will to you. That's what he wants. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He's thankful because he knows that God will yet be merciful and he knows that he can get relief from this horrible situation through repentance. Hmm. Do you remember that Rolaids commercial? How do you spell relief? And it spells out R-O-L-A-I-D. Rolaids. If Jonah was doing the commercial, he would say, Hi, this is Jonah. How do you spell relief? R-E-P-E-N-T-A-N-C-E. Repentance. So he gives thanks to God, knowing that God will answer his prayer. He's relieved because he's been so stubborn and so stupid, and now he gives up. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So it worked. The whale worked. It woke this guy up. He learned his lesson. Chapter 1, running away from God. Chapter 2, running to God. Now in chapter 3, we get next week, running with God. And that's how we outline the book. True story. Dennis Quigley was in his camper one night. He had a motorhome. He heard a noise outside. Well, there was a thief outside trying to siphon gas out of Dennis Quigley's motorhome. Dennis Quigley shot out of the door only to find the 14-year-old boy doubled over, holding his stomach, throwing up violently. You see, the boy was trying to siphon gas, but he put the hose in the wrong hole. 
and it was the sewage tank. Exactly. Exactly what the boy said. The police came, and they figured, why press charges? He suffered natural consequences. That's enough for the kid. Jonah put the hose in the wrong spout. Suffered the natural consequences. And he learned salvation is of the Lord. And we'll find out how full that salvation is next time in chapter 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time tonight to consider the Word and simple lessons from a very stubborn man. As we've looked inside the boat and been amazed at the contrast between pagans and a prophet. As we looked inside the belly of that great fish and saw that it took three days and three nights of suffering before he acknowledged his sin. But then to look inside the backslider himself and to see how authentic he was in turning to you. Lord, I pray that if any of us are hindering your merciful work in our lives by regarding some worthless idol, we turn from that, spelling relief, R-E-P-E-N-T-A-N-C-E, the joy of turning back to you and having you in mercy use us again. Do that, Lord. Use us this week. May we be filled with your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.